Football Fridays on the Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Las Vegas Raiders is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. Same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network TV analyst, Raider radio analyst. You hear the Raider games here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. I have one thing to say to you, though. Just one? Tony Romo, (laughs) move over. If Lincoln says they're about to throw the ball deep, that means they're about to throw the ball deep. Nice call, Lincoln. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you very much. And, and the great thing is, is that, you know, some things are a little bit easier to predict than uh, the Raiders getting a big win in Kansas City. <laughs> I was listening to the game, and I heard you make that call. It's like, yeah, the Raiders just hit on the deep one, and uh, the quality of this quarterback, he's going to want to answer. They're going to take a shot deep here, Brent. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know what? Always turning the tide of momentum when you pay attention to tendencies, especially the way offensive coordinators are in these days, it's easier to predict and call out. You know, I've been in this business. I started in newspapers and then sports radio took off. So I've been in it 35 years. And the way the business is now, you've got to be dramatic and over the top. I don't like to do that, Lincoln. That's not my style. But I'm going to come to you and say this was the greatest win in Las Vegas Raiders history. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. So it was a big win. But it's also answered a lot of things for me. You know, coming into the season, I thought the Raiders were a playoff-capable team. But they first had to get over the hump that was Kansas City. Now they've done it. The least worst that they could do is split. So that's a good step in the right direction. You know, it's a good lesson to all of us in life. No matter how good you are, you're not perfect. Um, and I think everybody here thinks a lot of Andy Reid. I haven't met him. He went to BYU. I haven't met him, but I know people who know him here, and they just they adore the guy. They think he's a great human being, and they think he's an outstanding football coach. And having said that, I wasn't listening to you at the start of the game. I was watching on TV at that point. I have to be in my car. And they, the Raiders uh, gave up like a seven-yard run to the Chiefs and maybe an eight-yard run. And whoever's calling the game on TV said the Raiders are giving up, I don't know, it was 130-whatever yards, or one of the worst right. numbers. And, and I'm thinking... Okay, so run the ball. And they get 24 points at halftime. I don't really care about your play, calling. If you got 24 points at halftime, however you get them is fine. But when the Raiders are shutting the Chiefs out in the third quarter and early in the fourth, I'm thinking, run the ball. But they got addicted to the pass. What the heck happened? I thought they did the Raiders a favor there. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you kind of get set in your ways when you have such a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that he's going to be able to bail you out of anything. But there are times where offensive coordinators, and Andy Reid is, is also where he, he just – it's fails to manage the game properly. I mean, we've seen it. It's been something that's kind of plagued him throughout his history uh, as a head coach. But in my opinion, the the Raiders made second-half adjustments, and they've done it all season. Now, some people might sit there and say, well, why can't they have it in the first half or something like that? But uh, And I don't even know the answer to that one. But they, you know, other than the New England game where they just got shredded by the run and they couldn't seem to get off the field, they've, statistically they've been better in the second half of games that they played in. So I think that also adds to their record. But the one thing I will say about this Raiders team is that, um, you know, if the offense scores at least 30 points, they're going to have a better chance of winning. They scored 40 against the Chiefs, uh, and, yes, the Chiefs, they get 32, they were only a touchdown away, but this offense needs to put pressure on the opposing offenses by scoring touchdowns. So we see at the college level there's some seminal moment in a program 
uh, particularly when you've got a new coach and they're trying to build something and they get something done. It's a big win on the road or whatever it is, a big win at home against a, uh, a marquee team. And that sort of turns around the program and then they go on to have success. I can, with BYU and Utah, I can recite several examples. And in the Pac-12, since I grew up in the Phoenix area, I could tell you about that too. I'm wondering if that applies at the pro level that you need some moment to draw upon to say, yeah, we did it then, so that was our turning point, and we can go forward now because we've answered this question. Now we know we can be good. The answer is yes, um, and there are several examples that I can that come immediately to mind. My one most notably is when I played forever. Our nemesis, our biggest nemesis for the Raiders in my time there was the Denver Broncos and Mike Shanahan. Uh, Shanahan. Um, we couldn't get over that hump. When we did, we started winning the division, we started going to the playoffs, and we eventually made a Super Bowl run. But we couldn't get over that hump. And take you back even further, you remember the nemesis that was, um, uh, well, not even further, but to take you back again, between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Until Peyton Manning beat Tom Brady, Indianapolis Colts weren't going anywhere. And they didn't have anything. And then after they beat Tom Brady, they ended up going to a Super Bowl. I say, this, I say that to say this. I don't think the Raiders are Super Bowl bound, but I think that with the extra team that's added in the playoffs, nine and seven, even possibly eight and eight, when we get in the playoffs, this is a signature win because one, it shows this team what they can do if they if they play a clean game, and of course they have a, a few balls that bounce their way, and two, it sets a precedent for the rest of the season. Now, with that being said, this next month of football for them is critical. They've got the Bucks, then they've got the Browns, the Chargers, and the Broncos, and then they face the Chiefs at Kansas City. So, you know, the next five games are something serious. And, yes, they're fortunate to be 3-2 and two right now, but they can ill afford to go 0-5 in the next month and have aspirations of the playoffs. Back-to-back. Back. Come on, they're not going 0-5. I get well, your point. I'm, that I'm just saying. The Bucks and the, Browns. The Chargers, the Chargers you, can say, you can make an honest argument that the Chargers should have a better record than they did because they got too conservative in the second half after they had double-digit leads and they blew games. You never know with the Broncos. You, you absolutely never know with the Broncos. And I can promise you, the Chiefs are going to try to right the ship. They've got the oh, talent yeah. to do it. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I'd, I agree with you on that. Uh, but I, I, work at, uh, at, I work at the TV, uh, CBS TV station here, and one of our sports producers is a Raider fan to the point mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, a lot of us feel like an intervention is needed, okay? I, I did one, story about, <laughs> one, story about, one story about Tim. And he's going to hear this, and he may not like me saying it on the radio, but I don't care. I'm saying it anyway. So the tuck rule game, he was oh. working there for the tuck rule game. He was furious. I, didn't want, I did not want to speak to him that Saturday night because he was just – he got his job done. That was great. But then I found out later on Monday he called the NFL commissioner's office to complain. Okay, that's how all in this guy is on the silver and black. He didn't care if they play in Southern California, Northern California, Nevada. But he said, and he said this uh, last night, we were talking about the Raiders' schedule. He said, they played the toughest part of the schedule. And I said, yeah, you got the Bucks next, and the Browns are 4-1. and one. It looked like an easy game when the schedule came out, but it doesn't look easy now. And he's like, yeah, and you get beyond the Chiefs game, though. And, you know, this steady diet of two Charger games, two Bronco games, the Falcons, the Jets— Three and two when they haven't played a team with the losing record, and I think only the Patriots are at five hundred. The Raiders have played a really tough schedule, and there's some to be said for that. 
Yeah, there is. And the fact that they came out 3-2 and two is, is a lot of people are thankful and grateful, and they're in the bye week, so hopefully they can get some of the injured players that they have had to deal with, get them back in healthy and ready to play. But I will, I will point back to last season. Last year, this team lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This team lost to the New York Jets. All of those, and then there was one more, I, I can't remember, that had a losing record. Um, it happens. That you can't take anything for granted. You can't take scheduling for granted. You can't take anything for granted in the National Football League because, you know, you guys should try to explain to me this. How does how it seem like historically the Chargers start off poorly in the first eight games and then the last eight games they turn it on and they look like they're playoff bound? How does that happen? You know, it, it just it just does. So you can't take anything for granted. Yes, it might look good on paper, but they still have to go out and do it. Do you think that the Raiders showed a formula on how to beat the Chiefs? No, it was a culmination of what everyone else was doing, and they had just enough offensive talent to, to outlast them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if you go back to the Tennessee game in the playoffs, I think the Titans were the first one I saw rush three and try to have a spy. The Raiders tried to do that as, as well. And the only thing I said about that and before is, like, if you have a spy, you've got to make sure the spy can catch the quarterback. Um, but you also saw New England do it, um, and there was uh, the well, the Chargers rushed four because they have four good down linemen to rush. Uh, but it, the thing is that you don't want to blitz Patrick Mahomes. You want to try to lay back and play defense and or, or zone and try to cover double cover some of those uh, those crossing routes because they run a lot of scissors and crossing routes. Uh, but the thing is that you, you when Patrick Mahomes started looking down at the rush then it becomes advantage defense all the way because that's when a quarterback becomes susceptible to making a mistake or, or panicking and not being able to get, his, get the ball to his receivers. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in just how football continues to evolve, you know, and for every move that offenses make, defenses have a counter and then offensives counter, it comes full circle to a degree. I grew up, I grew up in San Diego, a Charger fan, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not happy about the move to L.A., but let's not get hung up on that. Uh, and I watched the Raiders throw the ball deep to Cliff Branch, right? right? The vertical passing game, if Al Davis said it once, he said it a million times. But defenses started uh, getting to the quarterback and blitzing more, and the, the Chargers' Eric Coriel thing, it morphs into this mid-range passing game to the, to the Charlie Joiners of the world, right? And mm-hmm. then it keeps the, the, uh, the blitzes get more intense and the Bears really bring it, and it gets to the point where Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are throwing these three- and four-yard patterns, get the ball out, don't get hit, stay healthy, will convert on third down, and then I'm watching the Raiders, and it's back to the vertical passing game with Henry Ruggs. Two catches for an average of 59 yards. Can the Raiders sustain that, throwing the ball yeah. deep? Because it's not how the game's evolved. Well, I mean, think about it. This game goes revelations. It, 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 it eventually comes back around. You know, once upon a time, the power running game in the 90s was king with the Cowboys, two backs. The fullback sort of faded away and become somewhat obsolete. Well, Gruden now has it a part of his offense, like a number of teams have it a part of their offense, the Ravens as well. These things tend to come back um, and revolve back. And to answer your question, can the Raiders sustain it? Yes, that's the reason why they went out and got Henry Ruggs III. That's the reason why they went out and got Nelson Aguilar off of the free agency wire, because they wanted to stretch the defense. And the thing about the Chiefs game, and when it comes to Ruggs, you know, the first ball that Derek put up was a 50-50 ball. And Derek, you know, trusts, and I've talked to him, he he trusts Henry Ruggs III. So he went up and Ruggs caught that ball over a defender. The defender had pretty good coverage, caught it over the defender. 
then all of a sudden Derek can stick out his chest. On the second pass, the 72-yard one, if you remember, the Chiefs were playing quarters coverage, and the safety jumped the dig route by the tight end because they thought they were going to go to Waller. In the past, that's been a tendency, and that's why they did it. And then on top of that, Gruden ran a skinny post to Ruggs. Ruggs, the ward, was the covering, um, it was the defensive back was covering the Chiefs, um, covering Ruggs, and he laid off him. He was lax because he thought he had inside help with the safety. He didn't see the safety jump the dig route. Once that happened, you know, Carr went up top. It was a 72-yard touchdown. There was nothing that Ward could do. I, you know, the fact is Derek's going through his progressions because he trusts his line. He knows he's got a running game that he can rely on. But more importantly, he's got receivers that can take the top off of the defense now. And that's what he did in last week's game against the Chiefs. It's sort of incidental, Lincoln, the way it's worked out. But I'm wondering, do the Raiders know, the, the management, the leadership, the communication folks, that you're on Salt Lake Radio promoting the, uh, the Raiders the way this thing has turned out? You know what? I, I think you, know, you talk about things evolving. Now that the Raiders have a home, and they can call Las Vegas their home. They've got a stadium that's totally dedicated to them. They've got a new fan base that they can work on. They're spreading out. Raider Nation has been international ever since I can remember. Um, everywhere we've gone, there's been a, a great following. This is, this is one of the things that you just add on. I'm pleased to be with you guys uh, every week, pleased to talk football, whether it's college or pro. I'm happy that the Raiders are doing well, so it gives me something positive to talk about. Just don't bring up the tough road again, please. That's a sore moment. <laughs> I was there. I don't, I'm try, not trying not to relive it. i got to relive it for the next week and a half well, until Brady goes away. <laughs> if, if, if you come up to Salt Lake sometime, you can meet Tim, you know, when we're past all the social distancing stuff. But Tim would probably meet you in a park at 40 yards. He doesn't care. He, want, he wants to talk Raider football. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, I'm curious what you think of this. He's obviously talented. He obviously has problems interacting with others, right? It didn't work in Pittsburgh, and it didn't work in New York. How much do you buy into strong leadership, um, a talented group that's a bunch of winners that doesn't appear to tolerate any nonsense? How much do you trust a guy to, to fall in line and fit in in that situation and how much could that leverage his next contract or the next contract be a problem if it happens? Where, where is this going with Bell? How is this going to play out? I think Le'Veon becomes a ring chaser. We, we see it in basketball, guys. We see you know, certain teams, the rich get richer. I think Le'Veon, at this particular point, becomes a ring chaser because he, you know, you, you're, the one-year deal to Kansas City, I've got to believe because I know Andy Reid, I know him personally, that he called Le'Veon and said, look, you're not going to be the main go-to guy. We're not going to rely heavily on you like you, that teams have done in the past, both Pittsburgh and Jets. We've got enough weapons. You come here, you have a good chance of winning a championship. And I had to believe, because he's already got his money, his guaranteed money from the Jets, it wasn't about money this year. So I had to believe that's exactly what it comes down to. Play a one-year deal, see where you are. Andy Reid will get you, know, you, get you for basically the league minimum, so get you cheap to utilize you. He's good catching the ball out of the backfield. He's good running the ball between the tackles. So he's everything that a back, you know, Andy Reid needs uh, for a running back in his offense. This is the rich gets richer. This, the Kansas City team just got offensively stronger by adding Bell to their roster. All right, we will talk Pac-12 football with you as the season gets a little closer coming up November 7th. So we're still, uh, we're still a few weeks away, but we're looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for coming on, Lincoln. We'll talk to you again. Anytime, guys. Be well.